You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to, um, we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 3 today here in just a minute. Uh, the next couple of Sundays I will be gone. I'm on uh, helping lead the uh, canoe trip for uh, dads and their young, uh, their, their boys. Uh, and we talk about just how to be a, a spiritual, godly man of, um, on that trip. And then we're going to be doing that. I'll be uh, still on that next week and then the week after. Uh, we asked our kids last year, in, in the last year, what is something you want to do this next year, some adventure, some trip, something that you would be really excited about? And they said, we'd love to go to a family camp at Yellowstone Bible Camp. And so uh, my family and I are going to be uh, participating at Family Camp 1, and I have no responsibilities there whatsoever. I'll just be participating. In fact, I'm not even going to bring my Bible. No, I'm kidding. I'm, just, I'm going to bring my Bible. I'm just messing around. But we're going to go, and we're just going to be there as a family and just enjoy our time there. And so the, uh, Pedro Sanchez will be preaching this next Sunday, and then we'll have some, some of our, our own guys in the church here that will be preaching the Sunday after that. Now, I uh, have spent uh, some time here the last while uh, watching uh, mostly highlights, not full games. But how many of you spent time watching some of the, um, the NBA finals here the last while? Okay, some of you, you watched that. That's some amazing skill. Um, I would have, I would be a short guy on the court compared to those guys. They're massive, they're huge, and they're fast, and all that kind of thing. But the amount of skill and the amount of effort that they've put into that over time is always amazing for me to to watch. I think about the Nations League that just ha- uh, they did some of those soccer matches for Nations League. It's uh, Euro- uh, European clubs playing against each other, and they finished up uh, one leg of that tournament here a while back. And I remember looking and watching these big European players just how amazing the skill is that they bring on the soccer pitch and there's a lot of things that we look around in life and think wow that takes a lot of skill and we admire the effort that has been put in by people that make uh, make all that happen and I think that probably for myself being a dad is one of the most difficult things I've ever done and it is one of those things that I take very seriously that just like if someone wants to be good at basketball or someone wants to be good at soccer or whatever, it's t- going to take a lot of hard work and a lot of effort. And the same is true with being a dad, is that takes uh, a whole lot of hard work and, and effort on my part. There was a quote, one of my favorite um, fatherhood quotes that I heard over 20 years ago, the longtime prime minister of Great Britain, Tony Blair, uh, was in power at that point in time. And his son was arrested downtown London intoxicated. And Tony Blair's comment to the press was, being a prime minister is difficult, being a father is more difficult. That's all he said. But I I appreciate his attitude and his perspective there is there's a lot of things that we may do in life, whether it be our job or whatever that's tough, but being a father is, is even more difficult. And so um, I wanted to offer a prayer just for dads is um, thank you for what you do and may God continue to bless us and uh, help us transform into what more and more we're supposed to look like. So let's go ahead and pray for, for the fathers. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the day you've given us and we're glad that um, you shower us with your blessings constantly. We know from scripture that um, those of us who serve as fathers in this life have a tremendous responsibility and tremendous role. Help us to take that seriously. Help us to work hard at it in being who we need to be. And then our our fatherhood flows out of that, uh, first and foremost, being children of God. And, God, we're thankful for 
um, that we don't have to walk through this life alone, but we've got you. We've got tr- plenty of good examples around us. And we pray that as uh, that we can be the fathers you want us to be. And in doing so, we bless our families, we bless the church, and bless everyone else around us. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Because ultimately, uh, being a father is a lot about service, isn't it? Serving your family. And we've been talking about uh, servants in the church or deacons in the church here the last couple of weeks. And we'll finish up this, this uh, series today. And a few weeks ago, we talked about the difference between the battleship mentality and the cruise ship mentality. People get on a cruise ship so they can relax, so they can be fed, so they can be taken care of and all of that. And if something goes wrong, they think, wait a minute, where's the staff at? The staff needs to get over here and the staff needs to fix this sort of thing. And it's all about my experience and if I have a good experience or not. Whereas a battleship, people are on a battleship because they have signed up or been drafted to serve. And their job is to be on that battleship. And if they they have a role, they have a specific purpose that they're there for. And if something goes wrong, they jump in and they help out where they need to in order to accomplish the mission. Now, in church life, we can act like uh, the church is a cruise ship sometimes. People are here to serve me, to give for me, and I'm worried about my experience and what that looks like. And in that sort of context, assembly is an audience. You're there, and you just listen, and, well, you know, that's okay, that's not okay. I just didn't like the experience this morning, or I did. Whereas in a battleship, a church that, that works like a battleship and sees themselves that way, is all of us are here to serve and we're here, a part of this community, because God has a plan for us. And my job is not to sit and be fed and served, but my job is to get after it and look around and see what needs to be done and how I can help. And so what deacons are called to be is those that help put people to work on the battleship. We also talked about the difference between stewards owner. Now, I want to ask you guys a question. So I used some Lord of the Rings analogies last time, and some of you were tracking, and some of you had this glazed-over look like, what on earth are you talking about, okay? How many of you understood the Lord of the Rings analogies I gave last week? Okay, how many of you were totally lost on what those were? Okay, there's several of you. So anyway, just just take 10 hours and watch the, all the series of Lord of the Rings, and it'll all make sense. You know, it's all good. Now, we'll, uh, we'll leave the Lord of the Rings analogies for a while. But um, you see in the Lord of the Rings and you see in Scripture that sometimes we can, as people, see a ministry or see something in God's kingdom as mine, my own, my precious. This is mine and it's all about me and, and if anybody gets anywhere near what I'm doing, then bam, we got problems. Whereas what God t- tells us and what he shows us is any responsibility we have in God's kingdom is about being a steward. This is entrusted to me for a while so that I can fulfill this role and be a blessing to others. That's what the purpose is. And when we veer into ownership, there's always heartache. And when we, when we stay in the area of stewardship, then really good fruit is uh, produced in God's kingdom. So today we're going to talk about 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul gives some instructions about appointing deacons and what they're supposed to look like. Now, um, the word is for, for deacon in Scripture is diakonos, which is, simply means servant. We'll get to that here in just a second. Some of the dictionaries that are out there talk about how 
This term means one who gets something done at the behest of a superior or assistant. So Joseph is a good example of this in the Old Testament. He worked for Potiphar. He was a steward. He worked for Pharaoh. He was a steward. He had a ton of responsibility, had a ton of authority, but that authority was never his. It was given to him by someone else, and he stayed in, that, in those boundaries of being a steward. Or it means those who serve in churches. Now, I mentioned here a second ago that the word diaconus simply means one who serves or a servant. Now, the difficulty here is that this is one of these words that was not translated. It was transliterated. And that gives us some confusion now. We have an example of this, like the term that we use for someone who is commits their life to Christ in baptism. We use the term baptism. Baptism is not a translated word either. The word in Greek for baptize is baptizo. What that would mean for them was someone who, when you dip or dunk or immerse somebody, it would probably create a lot more clarification if instead of having the word baptize in English several centuries ago, if that word would have just been translated immerse. You know, it would have been a lot more, a lot less confusing for us on some of the questions of baptism. And maybe the same is true here with the word deacon. So instead of just translating the term servant and leaving it for us to wrestle with what that looks like, years ago when translators started translating the Bible into English, into, the, into written English, uh, they used the word deacon. And that's helpful because it, we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that Paul is talking about not just a servant in general, but a specific role but what it does as well is the, the downside is it tends to carry all sorts of, of baggage as a term that may or may not be there in Scripture. And so we're going to uh, dig into some of that today, and some of it we won't. But we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'll read here, uh, starting in verse 8. And these are the descriptions that Paul gives of deacons, or people who serve in the church. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so the first term that is used right here, and this is like an umbrella that encompasses all the rest of the terms that are used, is deacons or servants are to be worthy of respect. And that's where everything starts. Think about it this way. Uh, if you have uh, a group of people standing around and you're talking and someone's name comes up, and people just start gushing about, oh yeah, that person's this, that person's that, they, they were good to me over here, they did this. You know the conversations I'm talking about, where people are just excited because that person has a tremendous reputation of good work. Hey, if the same group is standing there, and someone comes and, and drops a name, and you can see people start getting nervous, people being uncomfortable, I'm not sure what I should say right here, that's a, probably a good indicator of what people are going are thinking about in their heads is, ooh, man, you know, that person was did this, or I've heard this about this person, or that person bit my head off here, or, you know, whatever. 
then that's an indicator that that person is not the type, does not have the type of qualities that Scripture is talking about right here. Someone who is worthy of respect. Or someone that others look to and say, yeah, that's a great person to be like. That's the kind of person that we need We need more of around here. So here's another example of this. I, I go back to, uh, let's go to uh, Psalm chapter 15. And we'll go back to 1 Timothy here in just a second so you can keep your finger there. But Psalm 15, um, this is a great description of what it means to be worthy of respect. Having high character. Psalm 15, verse 1, it says, "Who, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent, who may live on your holy mountain, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, and who does no wrong to a neighbor, and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts, and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, and who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Okay, you can go back and you can look at that and unpack that, but that's a great description of someone who is worthy of respect, or speaking of elders, is someone who is above reproach. You've got a great reputation because this is the type of stuff that you do in life day in, day out. Now, there's a bunch more descriptions here that are given. Now, first of all, is this, this deacon or servants are to be sincere. Now, the I understand that the literal translation would say a person who is not double-tongued you think about a snake snakes have that forked tongue and so it's not someone who acts or says something over here to this group and then goes over here and says something totally different it's not someone that you can't figure out i cannot figure out where on earth they're at but they're going to be consistent they're going to be honorable they're going to be truthful you know what's coming out of their mouth is going to be true here it's going to be true there that's the idea of someone who is sincere. It says someone that does not indulge in much wine. Someone that is not open to the charge of being a drunkard. Um, not pursuing dishonest gain. Now this speaks to priorities. Because if a person who is tasked with some various roles in the church has a terrible reputation as being unethical in their business dealings, then... That doesn't, that doesn't uh, lend itself to someone who is worthy of respect. Or sometimes, within the roles that uh, people serve in the church as servants, if a person doesn't have high character with finances, what's going to happen is it's going to put you in a spot to be able to abuse finances within the church community. And that's, uh, that's, it demonstrates a, a darkness there that can be really hurtful to a lot of people. Those are some of those qualities. Here's more. Must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, what this is not speaking about when it's talking about deep truths is this some kind of mystical knowledge or some kind of, of special understanding that someone who is a deacon has or a servant has that everybody else doesn't. When, it's, when the scripture here is talking about deep truths of faith, He's talking about the deep truth that God took a while to reveal, but has revealed with his uh, son Jesus. So when the scripture says, must keep hold of the deep truths of faith with a clear conscience, this is um, a phrase that I saw that I, I found this helpful. Is someone who is involved in a continual struggle to lead a life obedient to Christ. And so look at that. Is people who serve in the church should be people who have a deep desire and are involved in a continual struggle to continually serve God in their life 
no matter what it is, is that struggle is real and that struggle is consistent and, and someone who is genuine in that. He goes on to say the person must be tested and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons or servants. So the idea being is what you don't want to do as a church is just to appoint people that you don't know who they are. People have to have some time with the community so that you know who they are so that they can be appointed. But beyond that, something that uh, the church here has, has done, I've, the churches I've been a part of before, I've not seen this, and I appreciate this here. When it says that, uh, Scripture says that the deacons must be tested and then let them serve, all the deacons who serve have gone through a time where the church has said, the elders have said, we want to ask the church to make sure, we're going to tell them that you're, we've asked you to serve as a deacon. We're going through a time that we want to hear back from the church. And so for, for Coulter and Fred, for example, uh, when the, they were uh, appointed or asked to serve as deacons here a while back, something the elders said is, if you've got something, you've got an issue here, talk, let's talk about it. Because everything with service in the church needs to be on the table, open and transparent. And also, it gives the opportunity for someone who is asked to serve as a deacon to get into that role and say, look, I'm not, this isn't for me. I'm just not ready for this. Um, I'm not capable of this at this point in time. I need some time to back out and gives an opportunity to back out gracefully. That's the idea there. And that's the way that the church here has tried to um, implement this idea of testing. Here's a, as scripture continues here, uh, the next uh, verse 11, it says, in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now, this is, uh, there's some unknowns at this verse, or there's some things that are more difficult to try to untangle or try to, uh, to bring out some of the meaning. Now, some of your translations, if you read, they'll say their wives, as in the deacon's wives. The, that term there or that possessive is not there in the original language. And so the NIV before 2011 did that and said their wives are to be women worthy of respect. But ultimately they said, you know, that's not a fair translation because what it just says is the women are to be worthy of respect. And it's up to us to try to figure out what that means. And so you'll see some translations now will say their wives. Some will say the women. Some will say deaconesses. And so there's some under, there's some things that we have to try to figure out what that means from context. There some would say that these are these are women helpers that are part of uh, the leadership team. Like you see widows uh, that are serving in the community. You see Timothy talk about that in the next chapters. Widows who have a good history of of godliness support them and get them out there so they can take care of the poor. You know, put them to work in the church. Uh, they're, they're great. And so there's some things that we don't know there. But what we do know, what is beyond, um, what is beyond any type of... What, what's really clear for us is that, uh, that women have a very essential, essential role in, of service in God's church. That is uh, clear from this passage here. And so they are asked as well to be people that are worthy of respect just like the deacons, not malicious talkers, so not ones that go around and stir the pot and create dissension and problems among people. That's sinful, not okay. Uh, but temperate, so someone that doesn't run off to this, run off to that, but someone who is able to calmly stay in the middle ground and trustworthy in everything. Someone who is able to keep their word. If they say, I'm going to do this, then they will do it, and you know it's going to be done. That's, those are the qualities that are there. Great qualities for all of us to pursue. 
He continues on and goes back to deacons as Paul is talking here. He says, someone who serves as a deacon or servant in the church must be faithful to his wife. In other words, someone who is not open to the charge of ladies in the church or ladies in town are saying, man, that guy's flirting with me constantly or something. It's very clear who that guy is married to. Also, someone who manages his children and household well. Now, this is there's two parts of this. And Paul talks about in Ephesians, and he talks about uh, Ephesians specifically, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but train them up in the knowledge of the Lord. And so as fathers, we can go a couple of different directions. We can go over here that we're so lenient and we're a pushover and the kids rule a roost. And that doesn't finish well. Or we can go to the other side is where we have this iron fist that we control whatever happens in our roof. And it looks okay for a while, but eventually what happens is the kids launch and think it just doesn't work that way. And so the point here being is Paul is saying, these men that you want are men that are managing their children and household well. Okay? And so take a look at that, because that's important for serving in the church, is, ser- is serving in your household first and foremost. God created the family before he created our community, and that's as fathers and as leaders in the church. That's our, a huge uh, responsibility of ours is looking out for our own family and leading them well. And this section finishes with Paul saying, Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul is encouraging people to submit themselves to service and having responsibilities in God's church. Think about it this way. As I look at that picture up there and as I let these words soak into my soul, I try to think what it looks like when someday all of this physical world is peeled away And Jesus returns, or we die and we launch into eternity. And everything that we can touch right here just seems as a shadow, and what we're seeing face-to-face is more real than anything we've ever seen before in our lives. And we come face-to-face with God, and God says, tell us about your life and what you you did. I don't know if that's going to happen. Just play along with me here for just a minute. And what happens if we stand there in front of God and say, well, man, you know, honestly, because we can't lie at that point in time, we can't make something up, right? Say, I spent this life on earth, and what I did in my spiritual life is I spent most of my time critiquing everybody else and everything that they did, and I didn't really do much of anything except sit there and demand that I get my way. And that's basically what I did in this life. You can imagine what God says at that point. What on earth? I put you on this earth to serve. That's what you were supposed to do. But what happens is that, as the scripture says here, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance of their faith in Christ Jesus. So think about this. Someone else goes face to face with God. And you stand in front of them. And God says, what did you do to bless my kingdom on earth? And you say, well, I submitted myself to taking on some responsibilities in the church. And they weren't fun. They were difficult at times. And I felt like I tried to get people to volunteer. And sometimes it seemed like nobody would. And it was just, it was difficult. And sometimes it was frustrating. And sometimes it was hard. But I believe that I gave my best so that God's church could expand. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You know that all your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Come into my kingdom. I just think about the difference there for all of us, not only those who, of us who serve in leadership in church, but for all of us. Are we going to be people who are, hey, this is all about me, the cruise ship mentality, or put me to work, set me in a direction, or I'm just going to look around and quietly find something that I can do to be a blessing? Good things for us to think about and to be convicted of. Something that happened in Acts chapter 6, as those men, it says the, the servants, and so it uses a similar term, it doesn't use the term deacon specifically, or it's hard to tell if it does, if we can say it that way. We'll leave, I'll leave it there. Okay. You have seven different men that are appointed to oversee the daily distribution of food. Probably each one of them took a day. And... They made sure that things were done so that this ministry, food was gathered, that the people, that the Greek-speaking widows were not overlooked. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But when those men submitted themselves to serve in this capacity, it says, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. I don't think it's an accident that this scripture appears right after those men submitted themselves to serve. Because what happens is when we step out in faith and say, all right, God, I know that I'm just going to serve because there's work to be done in God's kingdom and I'm excited to be part of that solution and here I go. Then what happens is that becomes infectious and more people jump in. Someone over here jumps in, someone over here jumps in and we all start serving together and we all start working in God's kingdom and my prayer is, as we go forward as a church, that we're going to see more and more of that, is that we are people that have a heart for service in God's kingdom, and God blesses those efforts a lot in order to bring more and more people into his community. Now, I'm going to share here for just a minute, these are the deacons or servants that have uh, officially been given roles and appointed among us. Matthew Bachmeyer has been appointed to serve, uh, to oversee uh, work that happens with the teenagers um, in the church. David Eater has been appointed to oversee uh, tech and AV. Um, just as David and I have been talking with a with a company in town, I've shared this a few times to work on our tech stuff, and because uh, some of our, our equipment is very dated, and uh, they're they, they're working with us. But in this um, in this day and age of supply and demand, and and not much supply, they're having trouble finding even equipment. And so we're in process. Uh, Fred Kirkland has agreed to serve as um, as a deacon of of being uh, benevolence and help. And so uh, we don't want anyone in the church here to go without. And if you find yourself in a tough spot, talk to Fred Kirkland. You know he's got access to resources that can help. Uh, for Rob Robinson has served in a lot of different roles as he's been a deacon for I don't know decades, long, longer than I've been here. Does anybody know how long Rob has served as a deacon in the church here? A long time, long time, and he has served in a lot of different roles, and Rob has a tremendous reputation in the church here of being someone who just gets to work and he serves and he he produces good fruit that way. Here a while back, Rob approached the elders and myself and said, my wife is very sick, I need help, and I need to step away from some of these roles. And so Rob did, and it was beautiful watching other people just step in and say, Rob, you have shown a great example of service, and I'm glad to jump in and find a way to work alongside you. And Rob still oversees the building and grounds outside of the building. 
But many, many others have jumped in to say, hey, let me serve, let me help, let me be a blessing here in this area. Uh, Coulter Roscoe has been serving as the assembly coordinator for a while. And um, if you, uh, fellas, if you're not serving up front as, as a prayer, uh, saying prayers or whatever, talk to Coulter. He's happy to, to put you to work in these roles here. There's others that do not, many, many others that serve in the church here that are not given the title of deacon or servant specifically, uh, just like there's many that shepherd other people's souls in this church but are not given the specific role of elder. But you think about, like Fred Nelson, uh, Fred keeps uh, the books for the church and does a great job with that. And he's been doing that for decades, right? A long time. And he's going to transition out of that at some point in time, and someone else will step into that role. Now, Don Rogers oversees a few different ministries in the church here, missions. Now, Don's got a heart for that. Uh, Don and uh, Mike Svaldi take care of the inside of the building here, and, um, and we're thankful for that. There's Again, we could go on and on and on and on. We could talk about someone who serves in, as a servant in the church in many ways is Beth. You, when ladies' Bible class comes around, you know that Beth is going to be leading the charge and organizing that. And, and her work, and Don Rogers' work, and many, many others' work in the singles group. Uh, Karen uh, takes care of organizing the kids' classes with Carl's help, and she provides a tremendous service in that ministry. see that um, Michelle Schultz and uh, Sylvia organize meals on Wednesday nights. I, you know, I'm just giving a few examples here, but many, many, many others who say, I will take on a role in the church, and I will serve, and I'm thankful to serve because God's been good to me and I can give of what I have for others. And so for you guys specifically that serve as deacons, what I ask you, what God asks you is to serve well, not as owners of the ministries that you've been given, but as stewards. Give your best as if you're giving to God. Include a ton of people and work yourself out of a job so that others can serve and you can serve somewhere else. That's great, and that's ideal when something like that happens. I've been uh, around deacons. Uh, there was a few in Great Falls that have been deacons for a long, long time. They never wanted to serve in elders as elders. They didn't feel like they were qualified. They should serve in that role. But, boy, they served in half a dozen roles over the years uh, that, that I've known them because they trained somebody else to take on their role, and then they switched, and they did something else, and they just kept going, training people for service in God's kingdom. For us, for all the rest of us here, what I ask of us is to not buy into the cruise ship analogy. Now, you guys are going to think I hate cruise ships or something like that. I don't. I've never been on one, but if that's your thing, and that's a blessing for you, and you can uh, you can go on cruises, and, and it renews your soul, then then... Go for it, okay? I even owe some cruise ship stock, but beyond that, okay, I'm not against cruise ships. I'm just telling you, when we see the church as a cruise ship, we run into problems, okay? But for the rest of us, what I would encourage all of us to consider and to think about is that we are called to serve in God's kingdom, in His church here. And so we may, um, when you hear an announcement for help, don't just assume, oh, that means somebody else, but think, hey, maybe I need to show up and maybe I can help. When one of the deacons or ministry leaders approaches you and says, hey, will you serve in this way? If your default answer is no, 
Just bite your tongue for just a second and say, let me pray and think about it and then say yes and just give it a shot and try. And who knows, maybe you have a giftedness in that area that you have never discovered and God's just waiting to use you and he's using that opportunity to to be able to uh, put you to work. And so for all of us, I would say, look around and see what you can do to be a blessing in the church around us and just jump in and say, I will work. And I'm glad to do that. And if all of us do that, and all of us jump in and say, hey, I'm in, then it's amazing what God can do with all of us working together. Now, if you'd like to become a Christian, or you'd like prayers of the church, you're welcome to head to the back. The elders and their wives are back there waiting to talk with you.